This is The Guardian. I'm Jane Lee, coming to you from Wurundjeri Land. And this is the full story. President Donald J. Trump! He's been found guilty of sexual abuse in a civil court. The jury today found former President Donald Trump liable for sexual abuse and defaming writer E. Jean Carroll and is facing dozens of criminal charges in two different cases. Former President Donald Trump has been indicted. But none of this has deterred Donald Trump from running for president again. In order to make America great and glorious again, I am tonight announcing my candidacy for president of the United States. Bruce Wolpe is the author of Trump's Australia, and he says Australia needs to start preparing for the very real possibility Trump wins next year's US election. America's comeback starts right now. Today, what could a second Trump term mean for Australia? It's Monday, the 26th of June. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Donald Trump is facing federal criminal charges over his handling of classified material, but he's still wildly popular among Republicans. And, and some of his challengers are already saying that they'll pardon him if if they win and if he's convicted. So how likely do you think is a second Trump term, given all that stands in his way currently? I think it's a, a greater than 50% chance that he will get the nomination and less than a 50% chance that he will win the election. Bruce Walby is a senior fellow of the US Studies Centre at the University of Sydney. So I see him as fully competitive and viable in the short to medium term. What Trump has been able to do is to take the charges against him and turn them into a weapon and a shield. And he's really cornered the market with uh, the Republican base, his voters, and really intimidated other Republican candidates into supporting his position. And he says two things that I think are really compelling. He says this is political interference of the highest order. The ridiculous and baseless indictment of me by the Biden administration's weaponized Department of Injustice will go down as among the most horrific abuses of power in the history of our country. This is the weaponization of the Department of Justice. In other words, you have the Democratic president uh, instructing the Democratic attorney general and the Department of Justice to indict him and take him out. In other words, get rid of him in the election. And that's a, a raw exercise of brutal political power. Mm. The other thing that he's saying, which I think is just so um, powerful to his base, he says, when they come after me, they're coming after you. Because in the end- 
man, they're not coming after me. They're coming after you. And I'm just standing in their way. Here I am. I'm standing in their way. And I always will be. And then he goes on to say, this is the final battle. I mean, this is almost biblical language. I think it's extreme rhetoric, but I think it is highly effective. And I think it's absorbed by his supporters. That's why it's hard for another Republican competitor to get into their heads and take them away from Trump. He's such a cunning politician. And he really does uh, have a commanding position right now. Hmm. I suppose all of the scandals that we've seen Trump attached to would have really killed most political careers by now. How do you think he's able to turn all of this to his advantage and also into a rallying cry? He, he is gravity defying. Mm. Um, he, he, he doesn't have any reverse gear. He never concedes. He never retreats. He never admits. But I can't think of any other person in public life who would get away with it, mm. um, except a true autocrat in a country that is controlled by that autocrat. And I, you think of Orban in Hungary, uh, Vladimir Putin, if he was a Western leader, the war going so badly, he'd be out. President Xi of China, Kim Jong-un in North Korea. And his center of gravity is with uh, leaders who do not celebrate democracy, but he respects power and he sees powerful leadership as the key to his success. Mm. Well, I mean, much has been said about the effect that Trump has had in recent years on both politics and also political culture right around the world. How would you define the term Trumpism? I define Trumpism based on the things that he stands for and that have been his themes uh, throughout his public life, which is uh, nativism, in other words, a uh, hostility towards uh, immigrants, hmm. uh, isolationism, he, wanted, he wants the United States to withdraw from the world, protectionism, he's against free trade, and he's erected trade barriers around the United States and has initiated trade wars, particularly with China, hmm. and uh, nationalism, America first. It's always about the country first. It's got to benefit the United States. Any benefit that another country gets is bad news. And uh, so those are the themes of Trumpism. So there is a question, can, can Trumpism exist without Trump? And uh, we will see. The way to beat Trumpism is for Republicans to lose successive elections. Political parties want to win. If you keep losing, then something's got to change. And that would force a reassessment. How much momentum do you think these values that you define as Trumpism have had in Australian politics than in recent years? I'm pleased to report to you, the Australian people, that uh, this democracy is sound, very vibrant, and actually can withstand the pressure. So the book has at least half of a happy ending. Australian democracy saves the country, and it's stronger than a lot of people believe, and more fundamentally to Trump's identity. Uh, he believes Joe Biden's victory is the big lie, that uh, the election was stolen. There is no big lie in Australia. There never has mm -hmm. been. The Australian Election Commission does a fantastic job and we have compulsory universal voting. So the big lie doesn't exist here, and that is the fulcrum on which Trump can exercise his influence. Mm. Nevertheless, you did mention in your book that Clive Palmer was the biggest Trump imitator that we have here. Yes, but Clive Palmer can never be prime minister. Pauline Hanson will never be prime minister. Uh, Twiggy Forrest will never be prime minister. In the Westminster system, the person who becomes prime minister is the leader of the majority party in the House of Representatives. Clive Palmer will never enjoy that position. Hmm. And so the, the, the people, I believe, should be very concerned what happens if Trump has a second term and what it means for this country and the world. But people can be reassured about the vitality and integrity of Australian democracy. 
Trump has played a really big role in stoking culture wars, not just in the US. Yes. Uh, we've also seen this in Australia play out most recently with the rise of neo-Nazis appearances at anti-trans rallies and anti-immigration protests. E exactly. And they're outside of the parliament in Victoria and at the height of the pandemic, People uh, marched in the streets with a platform with gallows on it, which mm. is exactly what those who attacked the Capitol on, on January 6th had and uh, uh, hang Mike Pence. So it's, it's here. People hear it. Uh, some believe it and they vote too and they have a voice. But it, it has its limits. And in the United States, we're not sure exactly where the limits are. Mm. I guess that's why it's so fascinating to me because I think Early on in, the, in Trump's first term, we might have thought these elements of the political debate were sort of really, really fringe, right? Really, exactly. really far right. Just don't have to, don't take it seriously. It's never going to grow beyond a fringe minority. But we've seen how that has changed in the US over recent years and how that's had a real impact on people's lives. So while it's still seen as a fringe minority in Australia, do you think we need to worry about the example that we're following from the United States. The level of hyperpartisanship in America is at its at an apex, mm. at its apogee, and uh, honestly, we haven't seen anything like it. We just well since the Civil War. I think a lot of it is driven by frustration over what the system delivers to a lot of people, and particularly in raw terms, um, non-college educated white men and uh, people who are close with them, and they really feel they've gotten the raw end of the uh, stick in terms of uh, the economy, their opportunities, the future, and then all these tensions from all these changes that are underway. And I understand that. In Australia, we have hyper-partisanship too. You're in the government, you have the opposition, they want to kill each other. The opposition opposes everything that the government does almost all the time. But that's the Westminster system. And with compulsory voting, it means that um, the extremes never win. It will always settle center left, center right. But uh, if it was voluntary voting, the gun lobby would have much more representation. Those who do want to restrict abortion rights would have much more representation. So these things work in Australia's favor, even as they're super aware of the, uh, the partisanship and division in our political culture, much of which is imported from the United States. You write in your book that, quote, a Trump return to power is not just a comeback, it's retribution. Yes. I'm really interested in what you mean by that in terms of how Trump sees the world if he comes back to power. There's one word for it. It's called vengeance. That's what he wants. He believes uh, the election was stolen. He believes the White House is rightfully his. He believes people took it away from him. He believes foreign powers acted to undercut him. According to Bob Woodward's book, um, Trump came to believe that uh, the release of the COVID virus was uh, deliberate in order to take the United States down. That's in, his, that's in his head too, even though he wants this relationship with President Xi. But vengeance against all his enemies in Washington, and he has people who are ready, he's ready to put in, mm. and he's not going to put up with any objections anymore. This will be the rawest exercise of power in American history if he comes back. Mm. He's going to get more than even. He's going to take prisoners. Next, how could a second Trump term affect Australia's place in the world? Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. 
Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Have to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. How do you think Trump views the rise of China compared to the Biden administration? He respects power. And so I think he says, I really have to deal with this. I've got to figure out the best thing for, from his interest, what's the best thing, you know, something at America first, something that benefits the United States. But it, it, China's too important to ignore. I think everything we saw him do in the first term, he'll double down on in the second term. Uh, I think he really wants a deal with China. And uh, because he respects, again, he respects power, he respects President Xi, and he says, wow, that guy has 1.4 billion people, and that's really something. And so he wants to work something out. And the question is, at whose expense is that going to be? Even if it's benign, well, if, if the U.S. trade can muscle out Australia trade with China, I think he'd be happy to do that. But there could be a, a deal where Trump wins a major victory on trade, and China says, we want Taiwan, and Trump says, okay, you got it. And that just kind of ends that. How likely do you think that scenario is? Probably not likely, uh, because there's a lot of pressure in Congress on a bipartisan level. They're really united. It would be horrific in their mind if uh, China attacked Taiwan. So it could be that Trump actually can't do that. But people are thinking it. When you sit down and you war game, well, what, what, what could happen if he is? That possibility has to be war games. You know, Australia is working with the United States and the UK. We've got the AUKUS agreement uh, in a bid to try to deal with some of the concerns around the rise of China for this part of the world. But you said that Australia should rethink its alliance with the states if Trump wins another term. How exactly? Trump looks at everything through transactional eyes. In other words, is this deal good for the United States? And he may just say, yeah, okay, AUKUS is good for the United States and we like that, that uh, we could have more security projected in the, in the region. But on commercial terms, is it really beneficial to us? How much of this money, how much of these contracts are going to Australia? Shouldn't we have those contracts here in the United States? And so he could up the ante uh, on the benefits and the, how they float. So th I think that's how he could look at AUKUS in a very, co very commercial transactional way. Mm. And then I think that the, the future of America's democracy is in doubt if Trump comes back. And the way I frame it is this. Many believe, uh, who watch, watch Trump carefully, that he is a fundamental threat to the future of America's democracy and that he could destroy America's democracy. So what if uh, the United States is no longer a democracy? What is Australia aligned with? And how can that alliance continue if Australia is a democracy and the United States is not? And I think that is an existential question as far as the future of the alliance. Mm. Are you arguing that Australia should move away from the United States completely if, if Donald Trump is returned? That's part of it. But the whole premise of the book is this could be coming. Get ready. And so it, what, what I really hope uh, the book helps um, encourage uh, among uh, people who are thinking about these issues is, this could be coming. It could be really serious. What do we need to do 
to prepare for that. What, what does it really mean in Asia? Let's get the, the real experts around the table in DFAT and the intelligence agencies and the defense agencies and um, sit down and figure out, okay, what are the various scenarios? What's likely, what's not? And then prepare some plans. I'd like Australia to be proactive in 2024 so it's not reactive in 2025. And I think that would be a really great outcome. Have we already become too close to the United States, in your view, as, as people like Paul Keating argue? Uh, no, I don't think so. But it's an honest debate. I, I mean, even now, assuming, let's say Joe Biden is reelected, even if that's the case, AUKUS, I think there's, uh, frankly, growing doubts about uh, it uh, in the community, uh, particularly in the Labor Party, uh, sentiment that too much money is being spent on it. The money We need the money here to do other things. So that debate is already underway. And I, I think that debate will grow even under uh, President Biden's re-election. Labor's been trying to rebuild Australia's relationship with our Asia-Pacific neighbours in the last year. Australia casts itself as a stabilising force in the region with the support of the Biden administration. How could Trump interfere with that, that goal? Uh, I think he would say it's not that important and you're kind of on your own. But actually that would serve Australia's interests because this really should remain a constant. Where Australia has a very strong, if not commanding, position throughout the Asia-Pacific with its interests, its alliances, uh, its ties with these countries, how much foreign aid is going to, to them, promoting democracy in those countries. And uh, under this government, the foreign minister, the prime minister, they're doing that. And so that, that should continue under any circumstances. If, if the U.S. is still uh, aligned with Australia under Trump, it just adds to that. If the U.S. is absent from the relationship with Australia because Trump has other priorities, Australia can protect its interests by doing what it's doing now. So that's a that's a no lose proposition for Australia, and I think it's embraced in a uh, bipartisan way here. But certainly under this government, it's proceeding, and it's a really good thing. As you say, you would predict that Australia would be looking to um, its Asian neighbours and reassessing and reevaluating what the world looks like in that in that scenario. So when it comes to Australia's security and prosperity in the region, well, are we better off trying to maintain close ties with our Asian neighbours? potentially. Uh, it's close, but also think about other Western democracies that would be equally disadvantaged if uh, Trump becomes president again. So I think there's, I think uh, the French could look very good to us. I think <laughs> <laughs> the Germans, I think <laughs> I, 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 they're, I, all of NATO would look at Australia and say, shouldn't we be partners? So it's not uh, home alone. It could be home and lonelier. But I do think Australia has many friends in the world who share the values here in Australia. I think that should be deeply explored. There's no harm in exploring that right now anyway. So there are plenty of other friends in this world, but when your big friend takes itself off the field, that's a real problem. You've argued that the best way that Australia can prepare for a possible second Trump term is to cement much of the government's current progressive agenda before that happens. Yes. But, but Albanese is obviously a very different leader to Trump. Do you think they would get along? I think it's going to be pretty rocky. They believe in fundamentally different values. I mean, Trump does not truly believe in democracy. He believes in whatever benefits him is good for the country, and that's just not the way democracy the works. Trump does not invest in, in democratic institutions. We fight like hell, and if you don't fight like hell, you're not going to have a country anymore. Around 1 p.m., as Trump is wrapping up his remarks in the park, the day turned home. Stop this steal from happening because um, if we don't, nobody's ever going to vote again. 
there's not going to be any integrity in our voting system. We're not going to take it anymore. This is our country. The insurrection on January 6th was horrific and a seminal event around the world. And it rocked everybody. After the insurrection occurred, the prime minister at the time, Scott Morrison, he declined to say really anything about Trump and certainly didn't condemn him. I think what we've seen in the United States is terribly distressing, terribly concerning. And uh, I, I noted the president's uh, message this morning to tell people to go home peacefully. I, I hope that's what people are doing. Anthony Albanese, he absolutely condemned Trump. Unlike most world leaders, Scott Morrison refused to disavow President Trump's incitement of the storming of the Capitol. Let's call this for what it was. Mr Morrison pandering to President Trump and those who follow him in Australia. And Trump will be well briefed on it and he will know it. And then I kind of indulged myself in the, in the book in uh, going down this road and putting myself in Trump's head and what he would think about Albanese. But he would say, you, you don't look like a prime minister. You don't dress like a prime minister. Your suits are lousy. Your hair is lousy. Your voice is lousy. Your glasses are lousy. And uh, you come from a poor background. Mine's better. Uh, you're a radical. You're a socialist. Uh, he would dismiss him, basically. He would dismiss him. And then they go from there. <laughs> so we will see. But no, I don't think they're going to get along well at all. Given all of what we've just said about the relationship that they might have, what should the Albanese government do in order to carry on with all of their current goals? The focus is not just the Oval Office, it's the Congress. And so I think uh, another thing that I heard from the foreign policy experts was double down even more on uh, Australia's activities in Washington and across the United States to build ties and bridges, build ties with as many members of Congress as possible. It's already there. I mean, Australia, frankly, is the most popular foreign country of any. It, that includes Israel and that includes Canada in Congress. And it's a tremendous achievement. Um, so do that. The business community cares for Australia. And so build ties with business, build ties with cultural groups. In other words, win the hearts and minds of uh, the American people. It's already there. Every Americans love Australians. They, when they think of Australia, they smile. And uh, deepen those ties to provide a cushion to some degree. If you put in the resources and energy and focus on it, it's not hard at all. It's there. Uh, we don't have to change minds. It's building deeper commitments that already exist. It's a really great position to be in. That was Bruce Wolpe. He's a senior fellow of the US Studies Centre at the University of Sydney. You can read an extract of his book, Trump's Australia, at theguardian.com. And we'll post a link to that on the Full Story website. That's it for today. This episode was produced by Alison Chan and myself. Sound design and mixing by Camilla Hannon. Our theme music was composed by Joe Koning and the executive producer was Hannah Parks. I'm Jane Lee. Catch you next time. <laughs>